Amen, amen. Well, welcome this morning. Uh, welcome to April. And uh, can I just say welcome to the most glorious day of the year? That is April 7th, right? Are we around that? Are you on board with that? April 7th. Leanne knows what I'm talking about. Birthday princess. Look at that right there. It's Leanne's birthday, too. I think somebody told me it's somebody else's. Is Rebecca's? Rebecca's? No? You're wrong. You can't do that to me. You can't do that to me. Okay. Okay. Well, welcome to church this morning, April 7th. Uh, we are glad you're here. And uh, I just, I just want to say, if this is your first time here, uh, this is a good morning to be here because um, we feel the presence of the Lord this morning. Um, and uh, we're excited about Easter coming up. But, uh, but we're in between series, okay? So we finished up the Greater Than Me series. Uh, we kind of put that away, and I hope that you haven't put away the whole point of that, and the whole point of that is to orient yourself outward, looking outward and seeing what God um, is, is doing in, in, in other people's lives and around you is, and, and, and that kind of a thing. So, so we kind of stepped out from Greater Than Me, but we don't want to step away from that idea. Um, and, uh, and so now we're in between. We're going to start a new series coming on Easter. Uh, Easter morning, we'll start a new series called Real Life. And uh, we're going to get into what it means to have real life in Jesus because of his resurrection and, and that kind of thing. So we're excited about that series that's coming up. But that means we're in the land in between, right? Uh, which is the opportunity for us to go back to the junk drawer, pull out a, a sermon that, that we've kind of has been resting there and waiting for us, and I, I feel like this morning is a good one. So we're just gonna we're we're gonna jump into um, to Luke chapter seven this morning, and as we read this scripture, here's what I want you to focus on. Here's what I want you to pay attention as we read the scripture. Um, th- really, this is like a it's a tale of uh, of two people. Uh, it's a tale of kind of two people's opposite reactions in, as they interact with Jesus. So there's two different things going on here, two different kind of uh, stories uh, all in one story. And so we're going to look at this. Um, and what I want you to pay attention or what, you, what I want you to picture is the body language, okay? How are these people interacting with Jesus? What is their body? Now, we don't have any reference, uh, I don't think for the most part, of body language of how these people are, are, are portraying themselves or are putting themselves out there. But if you can picture that in your mind, it will give you a picture of what I really think is happening here. So let's go to Luke chapter 7, uh, starting with verse 36. And we got a lot of scripture, so we're going to read it this morning all the way through. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, that's Jesus, as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the uh, the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman... 
from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to, them, uh, to themselves or among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what we have here, again, two people interacting with Jesus in totally almost opposite Totally different ways, okay? Um, and and, and what, what's happening is Jesus has gone over to the house of a Pharisee. He's been invited over to this man's house. This man is, like I said, it's a, it's, Scripture says he's a Pharisee. We know kind of what that means. Pharisees are um, a, a, of a certain group. They live according to a certain code, kind of above the law in order to ensure that they don't break the commandments, don't break the law. So Jesus has been invited over to this man's house. So Jesus goes over. He's sitting at this stranger's house. They're reclining at the table. Um, and what that means, uh, when, I, when I picture reclining at the table, all right, I picture pushing the chair back, crossing the legs, maybe hands behind the head, just kind of like chilling, right? Just, just, just relaxing at the table, seeing, you know, what, we're, we're just kind of having conversation. Um, and uh, that's probably not what's happening. Uh, well, I know that's not what's happening, right? So uh, in this culture, reclining at the table meant they were on the floor because they were sitting at a lower, temp- uh, a lower table. So, so being at the table, they would have to be on the floor, either sitting on the floor, resting on a cushion, something like that. Um, and, and in some cultures, uh, I, I know East, in, in some Eastern cultures still today, it's like, it's the equivalent of like flipping somebody the bird if you show them your, the bottom of your feet, right? So pointing your feet towards somebody is extremely rude. I mean, it's extremely offensive. And so in that culture, they kind of sit on their legs, kind of tuck their feet behind them. And so that's kind of what I picture Jesus doing here. He's resting on a cushion. He's got his feet tucked behind him. And they're reclining at the table. Um, if you ever come to my house, we're going to recline at the table. Not in that way, but we're going to hang out at the table. Um, we, uh, I don't know, I grew up. We, we eat dinner, and then we just hang out around the table. So if you've ever been there for a small group, you're, we're going to sit around the table, and pe- you're probably going to look around and be like, are we ever going to go to the living room? Probably not. We're just going to hang around the table because that's what we do. That's what I did growing up. When, when I first met my wife, Julia, uh, and started going over to her place for, uh, um, for family dinners and then for uh, uh, holidays and things like that, it's a totally different experience. They eat, they're done, they're gone, right? <laughs> my family will sit at the table for hours and just sit there and talk and enjoy, enjoy that time together. That's just what we're used to. When I first went over there, um, it, it's kind of tradition in her family that, that the, at a big gathering where there's not enough space, table space, that kind of thing, the men eat first and then kind of go to the living room, then women eat, kind of a deal. Um, and I found myself, I'd eat with the men, and then I'd kind of look up, and I was still sitting at the table with all the women. It was just kind of one of those things because that's how, that's how it works. Anyway, um, so they're reclining at the table, right? They're hanging out at the table, and as they're hanging out at the table, this woman walks in. And, and she doesn't say a word. She just walks in, and she stands behind Jesus. And she's already weeping, okay? She's already crying because it says as she's crying, her tears begin to fall at his feet or begin to fall on his feet. And then she does something really weird, right? Not only is she crying, she bends down and she starts to clean his feet with her tears and her hair. You think about Daniel talking about nastiness of washing feet. 
you, you want that on your hair, right? That's, that's nasty, right? That's, a, that, that's making a statement. She's, she's crying, and I'm guessing that she's, if she's crying enough to wet the feet, enough that they need to be dried or they need to be cleaned off, it's probably not just tears. There's probably some snot involved in that, right? Because that's one of those kind of cries. I don't know that for sure. But maybe she did this and then cried, kind of a deal, right? But she's cleaning his feet with her hair. And then she, she kind of steps it up, right? So it goes from, it goes from man, that's kind of bizarre. It's a little bit weird to, I'm out, because she starts kissing his feet, right? I'm out. I'm not kissing feet, but don't do it, all right? And then it says she poured some perfume on his feet. And Simon is, is seeing this whole thing, right? Simon is the Pharisee. He's seeing this whole thing. He's observing this whole thing, and he's like, if this guy was a prophet, like he says he is, he would know this woman. He would know who this woman is. He would know her condition. He would know her reputation. He wouldn't have anything to do with her. If he was a prophet, he would know that. And Jesus knows Simon's thoughts, or he hears Simon's thoughts, or whatever, and he, and he addresses Simon, and he says, you know what, Simon, I got a story to tell you. And he tells him this story about two people having, having debts to the same man. One of them a little debt, one of them a big debt, and, and, and he asks Simon, he says, which is, which, you know, both are forgiven because neither one of them can pay it back, both of them forgiven, which one's going to love him more? And, and he makes this comparison to Simon and this woman. Clearly, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Simon, you might not have very much debt, this woman might have a lot of debt, which one is going to love the man more who can forgive that? And he draws that comparison to those, to those two people that are interacting with Jesus in this story. Now, if you can get over the weirdness of the whole feet thing, if you can get past the, the and, and, and a lot of it's probably cultural and we can't understand it anyway, even if, even if we tried. Um, but if you can get past that, I think there's a really clear distinction between these two people and between the way they're interacting with Jesus. Uh, and, and, and I think there's a really clear implication for us as we interact with Jesus, as we have a relationship with Jesus in that way. And so I want to look at that this morning. That's where my three points come from this morning. Um, and the first thing that I have to reflect on this morning is, is this question. And it seems like a strange question, but the question is this. What is the purpose of your relationship to Jesus? What is the purpose of your relationship to Jesus? And again, that might seem like a really strange question, but let's look at it in the context of this chapter within Luke. When I read verse 36, it says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus. Now that right off the bat is a strange thing, right? A Pharisee inviting Jesus. Pharisees in general wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Now there were uh, some, there's some occasion, we have some evidence that were, there were some people who were genuinely interested in Jesus. They were of the Pharisees and they were generally interested or genuinely interested in what he had to say. But I have to ask the question, what's Simon's goal? When he invites Jesus over to his house, what's his motivation? What's his goal? What's he trying to get at in this whole thing? And we don't really have any, any answer for that and within the scripture. There's no like definitive, this is what Simon had in mind when he invited Jesus over to his house. We don't have that. But it, again, 
it's probably not a genuine response. Yes, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He interacted with Jesus. He said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit life? And that's when Jesus, in John chapter 3, talks about being born again. Uh, and, and we get, you know, John 3, 16 and 17 and all that in there. And, that, and that's incredible. And that was a genuine interaction from a man who belonged to the Pharisees. But I don't see that with Simon. Because we have evidence of, of some other things that, that he may be interested in. In this time, right? So Simon has Jesus over to his house. And I think we get a clue to his motivation when the woman enters in, right? She enters into the house and he says, if this man was a prophet. See, he doesn't believe who Jesus is. So he's got some other ulterior motive. The Pharisees in general were afraid of Jesus because people followed him. Because Jesus was a threat to their way of life and to their beliefs and things like that, right? So I think Simon understands, as a Pharisee, understands that Jesus has some sway with the people. He's, Jesus is kind of a popular guy. He has some notoriety. And I think Simon, this is just, again, my personal feelings. I, I, can't, I can't say uh, whatever um, exclusively that this is what's going on. But I think Simon invited Jesus over to his house because he wanted to be associated with somebody who had some clout, right? He wanted, he wanted his reputation associated with Jesus. Now, it's kind of a weird thing for a, for a Pharisee, maybe, um, because they didn't agree with Jesus. But I think overall, he wants, he wants his reputation associated with Jesus' reputation. He wants to show that he is connected to this man who is very popular. And so he wants to get, to, to, to get some of that notoriety along with Jesus, right? He's trying to impress other people that he has this great teacher at his house, that he's hobnobbing with big stuff, right? I think that's, what, I think that's what's going on here. It reminds me of a football coach um, that I saw one time. So a football, uh, I think it was John Gruden, if you know who John Gruden is. He's, he coaches the, the Oakland Raiders right now, and before that he coached the Bucks, and, or, and maybe before that the Oakland Raiders again. Um, but he's, uh, he's this this. Uh, really like outspoken coach and he so there's lots of videos of him because when he calls plays it's it's ridiculous if you've ever just google it next time all right not right now but later on um john gruden calling plays because he does this this it's crazy you can't hear it you can't interpret it. it's like all right i need a phoenix xy run uh run run south uh, south how do you run south on a field anyway um run a hook run a post route doing all and he's calling all these different things and it doesn't make any sense to anybody but if you watch these videos you will see a lot of times this guy who's an athletic trainer. I think that's what his position is. He's some like low position on the team. But John Gruden is marching back and forth and he's calling these plays and he's doing this thing and you'll see this guy kind of come from off screen. <laughs> and then he'll follow. When the camera's on Coach Gruden, he'll kind of follow him around. He just wants to be associated. <laughs> he just wants to be in the picture. It has nothing to do with what's happening on the field. He just, he just wants to be in the, on the camera. And so you'll see it happens. And there's a couple of times where I've seen it where uh, Gruden looks around. And he's like, Som somebody get this guy away from me. Like, get him away. Like, he, he doesn't want that. He's, he, but this guy's just trying to get gain off the popularity. Um, he wants to get in the camera with Coach Gruden. And I think that's a little bit, I think it's a little bit of what's happening with Simon. Simon just kind of wants to be in the limelight. This guy's popular. He wants to be associated with this guy, so he has him over to his house. Um, because, I, and I don't think, you know, the other time that, that the Pharisees interacted with Jesus, they were trying to trap him. I don't think that's the case here. He's not trying to trap him. Um, 
but I think he's doing it because it improves, somehow improves his status among the people. Because he showed, he showed what he really thought about Jesus in his comments, but he also showed him when he shows him no respect. He invites this, this, this guy in and he shows him no respect because he doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't give him a kiss. He doesn't greet him with a kiss when he walks in the door. He doesn't give him oil for his hair. All those things show us kind of Simon's true motivations here. And he just kind of wants to make it about him. He wants to, to lift himself up and put himself in a better light with the people. Now compare that to the woman that walks in the room. This was a sinful woman. That's how she's known. That's her reputation. We don't even get her name. Just sinful woman A, right? That's how the people knew her. She was the sinful woman. And the implication is clear. This was a woman who, who, who got around, right, who was promiscuous in some way, whether she was a prostitute or whether she was just kind of that way on her own. That was her lifestyle. That's what she chose. But the implication is clear that that's what's going on here, that she has a reputation. And she comes to this stranger's house knowing full well that that's her reputation, Knowing full well that Simon is a Pharisee and he's got friends who are going to be Pharisees. And I'm, I'm sure this house was not empty just with Jesus and with Simon. I'm sure Simon invited his other friends over to say, hey, come on over. Let's, let's uh, get some, right? Let's, let's build ourselves up uh, in association with this guy, Jesus. And this woman walks into that house. She's going to face the ridicule from those people on the way there. She's going to face the ridicule for being in the state that she is. And she ends up like at this guy's feet. But what's her motivation? Her intention is clear. Scripture says that when she found out, when she learned that Jesus was at this man's house, she came with a jar of perfume. She came prepared. She wasn't just, it wasn't, she wasn't just walking by the road, hey, what's going on here, and walked in the door. She knew what was going on. She knew that Jesus was there, and she came prepared to worship him. She wanted to go to his feet. That was her intent. Her intent was not about her status with other people. Her intent was about her relationship with Jesus, her sitting at Jesus' feet, her getting to experience him in that way. She didn't have a hidden agenda. It was just Jesus. So back to my question. What's the purpose of Jesus in your life? What's the purpose of going to church on Sunday mornings? What's the purpose of, of this atmosphere for you, for me? Is it just a, oh, just in case kind of a deal, right? Is it just a, 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 like a, a fire escape? Well, I don't know if this is really real, but I'll dabble enough just in case. In case it's happening, in case it's real, right? I don't really want to give my life over to him because that would be crazy. But you're not really interested in that. Is it an attempt of status of sorts? Now, probably being a Christian is not going to get you very popular in this world. I get that. But we have people in our lives, sometimes there's people in our lives have, who have certain expectations of us, and we know that if we go to church, they're gonna, we're going to be fulfilling those expectations, and so we're kind of building our status in that way. We're doing the thing that we're supposed to do uh, in, in that way because we're doing what they expect. Or maybe it's a social, social thing. We, we get involved with the church because, well, I don't really do anything else, and, and I'm not doing anything on Sunday morning, so I might as well just go and hang out with some people and get to know some people, make some friends in that way. What's the purpose of us interacting with Jesus? What's the purpose of you interacting with Jesus? 
Because I can tell you why he came. I can tell you what his purpose was. If you look at Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's Jesus' purpose. That's why he came for you. That's why he came, because he wants a relationship with you. He wants to interact with you because he wants a relationship with you, because he loves you. And if you're interacting with Jesus for any other reason than a relationship with him, that's missing it. It's missing the point of this thing. It's missing the reason that he came. Jesus doesn't want to be used for your social life. He doesn't want to be used for your career. He wants a relationship with you. He's not a good luck charm. He's not a rabbit's foot that we can stick in our pocket and walk around with and pull it out when it's convenient. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to be on display in your life. And I think it's telling how these two people approach Jesus. Simon says, hey, come on over to my house. Come on over into my life. Come on over and see what's happening in my life. And then in that way, I can be associated with you. And and, and that way, I don't really have to change anything. It's my house. It's my stuff. You come on over here, Jesus. But what does the woman do? The woman goes to Jesus. She takes her life. She takes her money that it's going to cost her for this perfume And she goes to Jesus, and she drops it at his feet. She's not interested in Jesus being a part of her life. She's interested in being a part of Jesus' life. And that's a clear difference. That's a clear difference in that relationship. And I think it's telling about what their motivations are. Simon says, come be a part of my life so I can get something out of this. She says, I'm going to Jesus, whatever it costs me. Who do we identify with? Why do we want Jesus? Why am I here this morning? It's not a finger of condemnation. This is a a question to examine ourselves. The second thing that I see in in, in, in this story, in this account, is that your position in this world is irrelevant to Jesus. Your position in this world is irrelevant to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, your status doesn't matter. Look at Simon. He's described as a Pharisee. Pharisees, again, it was those guys who knew the law. They made their own rules and their own law so that they could avoid breaking God's law. And so, and so they're known as like the ultimate, right? These are the ultimate pure guys. These are, the, these are the highest standard of what it meant to be Jewish and to have right relationship with God. That's what, they're, that's what they were portraying. That's what they wanted the world to see. Look at us. We're doing great because we're keeping it pure in this way. So he's kind of looked up to in a way because he was the most, that most pure representation of what it meant to be Jewish. But this, this woman, she lived a sinful life and everybody knew it. That was her reputation. This woman was known for her sin. There wasn't anything that she was doing to hide it either. She just walked in and said, this is me, here I am. With regard to you needing Jesus, to me needing Jesus, to us all, your position, my position in this world is irrelevant. How other people view you or how other people hold you in their mind is irrelevant. Because regardless of your position, regardless of your status, we all need Jesus equally. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There it is. 
everybody, absolutely everybody, we're in the same boat across. It's standard. It's flat. Everybody needs Jesus. And the reality is that when we come to Jesus and we base that on how others see us, when we come to Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus, I'm not as, I'm not as bad as them or whatever, when, when we base our relationship with Jesus on that, it's false pretense. There's false security when we trust uh, other people, when we put our trust in the fact that, that others hold us in high regard. That's false. That's a false foundation to stand on. When Jesus was talking about the Pharisees in another context, they did everything right on the outside, right? They did everything right on the outside, but the inside was a giant gaping hole. It was a mess. Matthew 23, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And the inside is what Jesus wants to make right. And for Simon, he showed his inside, right? He showed what was happening in his life. He showed what was happening in his heart because he muttered to himself. He said to himself, it's a comment that he, I doubt he even wanted to make out loud. When you mutter something, when you answer yourself, when you talk to yourself, you have no intention for other people to hear it. If I'm doing math, I'm going to be muttering to myself. Numbers don't work for me, right? And, and, and so I have this weird way of doing math, and I take shortcuts, and it ends up being the completely wrong way to do it, but I say it out loud, so it's not going to make sense to you. I don't intend for you to hear me talking about numbers out loud but you might hear it anyway, right? I say that to myself. I say it to myself in order to, to figure out the deal, in order to say what's really going on in here. Simon said something out loud, or Jesus heard him like he hears other people's thoughts. In other contexts, it says Jesus knew their thoughts, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he, he, he reacts to it, right? Simon says, if this man were really a prophet, then he would know who Jesus was, or he would know who this woman was. If this man was really who he said he was, it, it, see, he reveals what's going on inside. He know, he, he's showing us that his motives aren't pure. He said, if this man was really who he said he was, I don't really care if he is who he says he is. I know there's some popularity and there's some notoriety that's going to go along with this, so I'm going to do it anyway. If this man were a prophet, he wouldn't let her near him. So he's hiding it, right? He's hiding it. But the deal is, it's going to come out anyway. When we try and keep the inside that is nastiness, when we try and hide it, when we try and keep it, it's going to come out anyway. I've, I've, to I've told a lot of people this. If you cuss like a sailor when you're not around me, that's the you that I want to know because that's the real you. I don't want you to change that when you come to me and as pastor, right? I'm not saying cussing like a sailor makes you nastiness inside. I'm just saying I want to know the real you. I want to know who you really are because it's going to come out anyway. And it drives me crazy when people change themselves when they get around me if they know I'm a pastor or they change themselves when they, they get into church. Because the reality is it's gonna, probably going to slip out anyway and then we're going to have to deal with that. And let's just be real with one another on the start, right? Simon looks clean on the outside and, and, and the deal is he's probably less, quote, if you want to look at it on a, some kind of a scale, he's probably less sinful than this woman somehow. If we want to make some kind of a scale, he's probably less sinful than this woman. But it doesn't change his need for Jesus. 
does not change his need for Jesus. But clearly, he didn't understand that because he sees himself as worthy of sitting at this table with Jesus. Jesus, come on over to my house, sit at my table, we'll hang out together, we're on the same level because I'm good, I'm holy. And this woman, well, she should just realize who she is and just kind of go away, right? Our position in society or in this world, how others see us makes no difference in our need for Jesus. We all need him, and we all need that forgiveness equally. It's flat. Everybody needs the same amount of forgiveness. And that's why I love Jesus' illustration, this story about the two people who owed money. One owed 50 denarii, one owed 500 denarii. But what I love is that Jesus says, neither one of them could pay it. So it doesn't matter how much you owe. Neither one, there's nothing that either one of them could do about that situation. They, they had zero money. They had zero credit. They had zero uh, um, um, anything, right? No money to do anything about the debt that they owed. So it doesn't even, it, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the lender was willing to forgive the debt. Regardless of the amount, the lender was, was willing to, regard, to, to forgive the debt. Because whether one owns, owes five or 50 or 500, nobody can pay it back. So the forgiveness is required for all. The difference that I see here between Simon and this woman is that the woman gets it. She knows she has nothing to offer. Simon, on the other hand, has elevated himself to think that he can do something about it or that his holiness somehow does something about it. Simon misses it. And I think, I think that that is most distinctly reflected when you look at their posture, when you look at how they approach Jesus. So point number three is this, that our posture says a lot about our relationship to Jesus. Our posture and how we approach Jesus says a lot about our relationship to him. Simon saw himself as worthy of sitting at the table with Jesus. He was almost like an equal, right? Jesus, come on over to my house. Let's eat together. Let's do this thing. And when this woman who is admittedly sinful walks in the door, he's indignant. That woman. Here comes that woman when she walks in. And this man, this man, Jesus, if he was really as holy as me, then he would not let her touch him. He would know who she is. He wouldn't let it happen. So, so Simon is proud. Simon's, Simon's indignant about the sin of, of that woman. The woman, on the other hand, her posture, is she comes and she bows at Jesus' feet. She doesn't say a word. She walks in. She's weeping just to be in his presence. She brought an expensive gift just to waste it on his feet. She just wants to be with Jesus. She is all about that relationship with Jesus. And she does it without regard for the ridicule that she's going to incur, let alone for, for, for being who she is, let alone for what she's doing and how she's acting in Jesus' presence. 
our approach as we worship Jesus or our approach uh, to Jesus and as we live our lives says a lot about our relationship to him. Are we proud? Do we bow up like Simon? Like I belong here? This is, this is you know what? You other peons, maybe you'll get there, but right now I'm here. I'm righteous and I'm holy. I've got it together. I do things like I'm supposed to. I don't do the things that I'm not supposed to. In fact, I have a list right here of the things that I'm doing or not doing, and I'm checking them off, and I'm getting them right. Is that, is that how we approach that, That's what Simon's doing. Is that how we approach it? Or are we like the woman who is humbled just to be in the presence of Jesus? She's humble. She's weeping just to be in the presence of Jesus. Think about it. This woman walks into the room, and she doesn't say a word. We have no record that Jesus says a word to her at this point. He does later on, but at this point, she just walks in, and she lets it all out, right? Just to be in Jesus' presence. She begins weeping just to stand at his feet. And for me, I think the difference between these two, two people and how they approach Jesus and the posture that reflects how they approach Jesus comes from their understanding of who this man is. Simon is skeptical. He doesn't believe if this man, right? He doesn't believe who Jesus is. He's not convinced that he's anything other than a man. What you believe about Jesus is reflected in your posture towards him. How you approach him reflects your true beliefs about him, our true beliefs. I'm not excluded from this. If we're cavalier, eh, whatever, right? If we're cavalier in it, that tells me something. If we're nonchalant about our relationship, eh, whatever, that tells me something. When we come in here to worship on a Sunday morning, we come in here to sing, we come in here to pray, we come in here to hear a word from God, what's your posture during that experience? Now, I get it. People experience and express worship differently. Some people are going to be more excited and more outward than others. That's fine. I get that. But what's going on up here? Are we focused? Do we know what's happening? Or are we checking everybody else out? I knew a guy at church one time that uh, he was really involved with church. He, was, uh, he attended every, every single service and every single meeting the church ever had. He was influential in those decisions. But when it came time to church, he did this. Looking around. Like the whole service, singing time, prayer, tells you how much I was paying attention, right? Because yeah. I was watching this guy. But that was his attitude. That was his, that was his posture. It doesn't tell me that there was a lot of worship experience happening for him in that moment. Because he was looking at other people. He was checking out other people. He was counting who's here and who's not here and all that stuff, right? Our posture reflects our relationship to Jesus, and in that moment. So what do we come here for? What do we, co we come here to worship. We come here to experience. We come here to pray. We come here to sing. Are we, are we doing that? Or are we booking a time slot? Just looking around. Can you grasp that this man, Jesus, wasn't just a man? This man, Jesus, he is, he is fully man, 
but he's also fully God. He is the Son of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the God that we have come to worship. Not a God who squashes us when we don't. Not a God who, who forces us to bend a knee or, or asks us to cut ourselves or bleed or do any, anything ri- ridiculous like that. That's not what he's asking of us. He's not asking any of that of, of us. It's not a forced devotion. But it's a God who lovingly offered himself on our behalf because there was nothing that we could do about the debt that we owed. Any of us. So he did it for us. There's nothing that we could do for the sep- because, uh, from the separation of our sin, that, that our, the separation uh, uh, that we experience because of our sin. If you grasp that with your mind and your heart, then you don't come to him nonchalantly. We don't just waltz into his presence We come to him with awe and with reverence. You come to him with thankfulness. We come to him with joy. We come to him with humility. When you understand the the cost that he paid, the debt that he covered, it changes your posture toward him. When we're in his presence. 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This woman understood that. And I'm not saying that we've got to come before Jesus and we've got to grovel and we've got to beg and we've got to keep our nose to the ground as we approach him. Not at all because we're, we're his children too, right? We're his sons and we're, we're his daughters. But even that, understanding, even that realization that he has adopted us and that he has chosen us should affect our posture, should affect our realization of who he is and what he has done for us. And, and, and it, should, it would, should provoke something, should provoke some kind of a response from us, some kind of gratitude, some awe. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The illustration, again, this illustration of the two people who owed the debt, Simon is asked, Jesus, and Jesus asks Simon, which of these people love, him, love this guy more, love, love the, the one who forgave the debt more? And Simon responds, well, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Do you understand the size of the debt that's been paid for you? Do you get it? Do you understand the debt that has been paid for you, for us all? It's not a little bit of hell if we sin a little bit, or a lot of hell if we sin a lot. It's eternal separation. And the only one who could do anything about that did what he had to do to make that possible. The relationship that he he sacrificed himself for the relationship of bringing you close to him. And he's the only one that could do that. He did it in Jesus. Acknowledging that and believing that should provoke a response from us. It should stir something within us. Do you all remember uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? You remember that show? Not the Extreme Makeover where they did like the plastic surgery. That was a bad story. Bad thing. Bad thing they did there. But the Home Edition, at the end of a lot of the shows, the contractor, they would, they would knock down their house. They would build them a new house or they would build them a new house on a piece of property, whatever. And they would, they would hand over the keys. And, uh, and, and 
as they handed over the keys, a lot of times the contractor would say, you know what, not only do you have a new house, but we paid for your mortgage. We covered it. That debt, we've covered it. And the response from those people, I loved watching those response. And, and half the time, the people would just drop to their knees like, boom, I got nothing. I've, I've got no response. I can't even stand in the presence uh, anymore. Like, and, and that's our response, right? That's our, our response for the debt that has been covered for us. We can't even stand in his presence. The realization that our debt has been forgiven is just too much. When we truly accept who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it changes our posture in his presence. It just does. Here's the last thing that I want to pull out of this story. This woman's posture towards Jesus draws people to him. When she walks into the room and she weeps at his feet and she worships at his feet because of what he's done for her. Because there has to be some history here, right? I, I have to believe there's, there's some kind of history here. This can't be the first interaction between Jesus and this woman. There's a lot of people who would believe that, that this is a Mary, whether it's uh, Mary, uh, uh, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. There's some people who believe that. We don't have any reference for that. There's some people who believe that it's Mary uh, Magdalene who had seven demons driven out of her. We don't have any reference for that. But there has to be some kind of, of, of why did she go to this man, Jesus? What was their interaction before? Or what had she heard about this man? Or what, because it says she is responding out of, this, uh, out of the, the forgiveness of her sins. She's already responding out of that. So I don't think this is the time where her sins are forgiven. She's responding out of that. If you look at the scripture, it says it in, in, in that way. When little has been forgiven, there's little love. And when much has been forgiven, there's a lot of love. She responds in that way. And her approach to Jesus as she walks into this room as a response draws people in. Because they ask the, the, the question of Jesus. People around her ask the question, who is this that forgives sins? See that? They begin to ask the question, who is this Jesus? Because of this woman's response to him, they ask the question, who is this Jesus? When we come in humility, when we come in genuineness, when we're not hiding things, when we're not ashamed of things, we come in response to Jesus and we worship him in thankfulness, it draws people in. Look at Simon. What, what does Simon do? When Simon comes and he's proud of himself and he's holy because of what he's done, what does that do? It pushes people away. Pharisees drove people away from God. When we come in genuineness, and we worship ingenuous, and we humble ourselves before God, it draws people to Jesus because they want to know what is that? What is that about? What is that response about? What's happened in their life that they approach this God in this way? It draws people in. Our posture towards Jesus, recognizing that we need him, that we aren't perfect, and that we can't do this on our own as as a genuine response to him, not false humility, but as a genuine response to him is attractive to people. But a holier-than-thou attitude and a posture that says, I've got it all together, drives people away. They're not interested in that. 
see it all the time. Our posture towards Jesus as we approach him in worship not only says a lot about our relationship to him, but it also has the potential to draw others into relationship with him or to drive them away. Our genuineness has direct correlation to our ability to witness. I believe that. Why don't you all come on back up to your feet? So I don't know if this, if this touched anything on your life. And again, this is not a finger of condemnation saying you got to get it together. This is an invitation to real relationship with Jesus. That's always the atmosphere that we're going to present here. It's an invitation. If it means coming away from sin, it means coming away from sin. If it means surrendering your life to Jesus, it means surrendering your life to Jesus. But it's always an invitation. It's never a condemnation. So this morning... As we go back into a couple of songs of worship, there's always people at the back. They always want to pray with you. That's why they go back there. And I don't know why you got to go back there. If it's because of something that happened in this message, if it's because Jesus spoke a different word into your ear, because I believe that's entirely possible, then I want you to go back and I want you to pray with people. I want you to have the opportunity to give your life to Jesus in a way that maybe you've never done it before. Now's the time. Don't waste it. Don't waste a minute. Like we talked about with Zacchaeus, he said, get out of that tree now. Don't waste another minute, Zacchaeus. So I want to invite you, if you feel like you need to go back there and you want to pray with somebody, go back there and pray with somebody. Whether that's for you and your personal relationship with Jesus, or maybe that's an opportunity because you've got some, some kind of physical condition that's going on. Maybe you've got some trouble in your family that you want to be prayed over. Can we just pray with you, please? That's why we offer that. Because we want to see Jesus move in your, way, in your life in a way that you've never experienced before. And that's going to propel you forward into further and deeper relationship with him forever. So let's go back into a time of worship. Those people are going to be back there, and they want to pray with you for as long as they need to be back there. We'll put more people back there if more people go back. Let's go into some more worship. Hey, this is Pastor Justin from Capitol Vineyard Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Thanks for listening to our weekly message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at capitalvineyard.org or on social media at at Cap Vineyard. Thanks for listening and God bless.